Congrats. Thank We've you. We've done it again. Congrats to you as well. <laughs> this is what, our fourth series down. Fourth series down. We still have not done as many. Yes. Still I have not done have as now. many. We have now. Okay, done as many new Equal. movies. Equal as to the X-Men series? Because there were 13 movies in X-Men. And we've done 12 Six other Gerwig. movies. Six Gerwig. Three Peel. And three of these. And one Remember the oh, Name. Oh, that's true. And one Remember <laughs> the Name. I forgot. I, I'd already forgotten the name. Um, okay, you're right. You're right. So we have. We're, we're past that. We, the, we are fully not an X-Men podcast anymore. As as of the dropping yeah. of this as of the dropping of this episode, we're officially no longer just an X Men podcast. More than half of our content is something other than X Men, and I think it's we're important. an X X Men podcast. Yes, <laughs> even Gerwig feels so long ago now. Yeah, truly, truly, it's been a lot of a lot of film underneath the bridge, if you will. How did you feel about this series? Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Terribly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how did you feel about it? (laughs) Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, I mean, like, look, there are bad movies in the X-Men franchise. Certainly there were movies that were... You know, like a couple movies in Greta Gerwig that weren't like the most fun to watch. But as far mm-hmm. as just like bad, start to finish, uh, poorly conceived, like offensive on several levels in each iteration. Even in 2019, still hugely offensive to <laughs> large populations of the earth. <laughs> and just, and just not trying hard enough. Just not. Really, like, I think what really frustrates me about this, and I think the reason why I wanted to do this initially, and like the reason why I had such fond memories of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was from childhood, is because the premise to me is so good. Like, the premise, it's such a killer premise that it's con people in a contest getting conned by a third con person who they're trying to mm. con. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, it's like such an elegant setup for hijinks and like crazy stuff to happen and everybody pulling one on everybody else. It's really frustrating that all of these movies are so bad (laughs) because, because like it's a really good, it's like a really fun setup. It's like just a very fertile territory for a lot of like dramatic and like honestly like melodramatic goofy farcical stuff to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like none of them really live up to the, the full like can you imagine this as like a slamming doors farce on a stage like in a single location similar setup like it's all in the hotel or something like this could be really good with just that basic premise i think we should do dirty rotten scoundrels four more dirty more rotten more scoundrels (laughs) the musical the play (laughs) the play about the making of the musical Maybe the musical is really good. I don't know. It could be, yeah. The songs didn't exactly lay my world on fire, but maybe it is really good. Maybe it's the best of the four. Could could It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't surprise me. It couldn't possibly be the worst. (laughs) Well, 
And then I say that, and then yet... <laughs> I kept saying that. I kept saying that throughout this whole series. I kept saying, well, at least nothing will be worse than this. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this was a very important lesson we learned as a podcast. Yeah. I'm glad we learned it this early in our life. Uh, yeah. And I'm glad on a series that was only three movies. For sure. <laughs> Even though it felt like much longer. Would you care to articulate, like, what exactly the lesson would be that we learned from this? I think, like, screening the movies. Oh, okay, okay. Because, like, even though the pitch of this series Mm -hmm. very much fit into the pitch of our podcast. Mm -hmm. Like, saying, like, here's one story that's been told across the decades. That's, Mm -hmm. like, totally the entire thing of this podcast. Mm -hmm. But then in execution... Beyond them being so hugely problematic, which I wasn't aware of, like, it just doesn't even change with the times enough to really justify it, you know? Yeah. They don't... None of them really have anything to say about the time period they're in. Yeah. If it was problematic, but we had something to say about it, like, (laughs) that's one thing. I mean, we started with the XN, but Uh I think, like, it was really damning that none of us were particularly fans of any of these movies. Yeah. Or passionate yeah. in any sort of way about any of these movies, which is not to insult like our guests. I think we got good episodes out of them, mm-hmm. but I think like neither of us or any of our guests were like, yeah, we really got to talk about these movies. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I feel like before we do a series going forward, we'll be a little more selective about like. You know, that we've really have something big to say about whatever it is we're choosing. Is that right? Is that true for the upcoming series <laughs> that we will be announcing at the end of this episode? Um, that's a series we were content to doing ourselves by a third party, our that's listeners. True. That's true. That's true. For once, dear listener, we have listened to you. That is true. We've heard the thousands of you clamoring for dirty, rotten scoundrels. Every day oh, I open the inbox, thousands of emails saying, Bedtime Story 1964, please. Man, if people actually have made it this far with us, then we know they're truly dedicated fans. And I think this was a brave move of us so early on in our career. Like, we went with... X-Men, which is a crowd pleaser, even if not many people love them, because they're just like, oh, let's roast these like movies that everybody kind of agrees on being like kind of weird and from the 2000s you know they're like and then we're gonna say oh let's give you some good stuff we're gonna give you the Greta Gerwig we're gonna give you the Jordan Peele and now now we're gonna see if you're truly dedicated if you understand the project we're gonna make you watch this dirty rotten scoundrel series I apologize yeah I apologize as well uh what was your flop to bop ratio here Emmett well I have an initial flop to bop ratio of two flop one bop <laughs> But a revised uh-huh. flop to pop ratio of three flop, zero bop. <laughs> so that comes to an aggregate flop to bop ratio of uh, five flops to one bop out of six. Mm. What was your flop to bop ratio? It was three flops, and I stand yeah. by that. Okay, well, no, what, what, what was your ranking? Oh, God, this is hard. Because I think they're, I think they should all be at zero place. <laughs> like, look, I don't believe in censorship, but 
Library of Congress, you know what to do. Uh, <laughs> Critics put out the hit. Um, well, look, it's easy for me. It's, and I never thought I would say this. It's three, The Hustle, two, Bedtime Story, one, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Mm. And when I saw a Bedtime Story, I was like, wow, nothing could be worse than this. <laughs> but I really do think The Hustle is. Like, I was probably at least mildly amused for parts of Bedtime Story. And it also benefited from being the first time I'd ever seen that story. Because mm-hmm. I remember, like, being very genuinely pretty into... Like, pretty shocked that he pretends to be handicapped and then very into the twist that the other guy pretends to be the doctor. Like, oh, yeah. That was yeah. an exciting plot development. And Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, yeah, I think Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is watchable. Mm-hmm. Maybe not recommendable, but it's the only one of these movies I would say is watchable. It has a certain, like, easy breezy sort of charm. I think Michael Caine has a real heart. Mm-hmm. Like, like, grounds a real heart to that story that none of these other movies manage to do. I would probably agree with that, but I do think, no, I think it's Dirty Rotten Scoundrels at number one, The Hustle at mm-hmm. number, at like a much, like these are all low. Space bar, space, um, space, bar, space, bar, space bar, space bar, space bar, number two, and uh-huh. then space bar, space bar, space bar, number <laughs> three, uh, Bedtime Story. I just mm-hmm. think the fact that Bedtime Story is like bad, like technically as a film Mm-hmm. that like it looks so bad and like looks so cheaply made uh and i also th- i also think that about the hustle i think the only one yeah. of them that like has like the glitz and the like at least something of the glamour that would go along with the lifestyle of being that rich is mm-hmm. dirty rotten scoundrels yeah mm-hmm. let me ask you this who is your favorite freddy marlon brando steve martin or rebel wilson I think the best casting of this character, if we were just like, here's the play that we know of as like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, for, mm-hmm. per se, and who do you cast in that? I do actually think that maybe Rebel Wilson is like the most interesting mm-hmm. and like the closest to that character. She is that like, you know how Laura was like, oh, she that Steve Martin isn't like larger than life enough as Freddy, but she mm-hmm. really is like that big the whole time. Like, in that, like, preposterous the whole time. I can't say that I like it, but I don't know if I like the character of Freddy, you know? Yeah. Who would you say? If he contributed one ounce of acting to it, it would be Marlon Brando. Because he looks the part. Yeah. He's the one, he's the only one who you believe, and that movie also goes more in depth on Freddy than either of the other two do. Mm -hmm. Hustle does a little bit more than Scoundrel still. You look at Marlon Brando and you believe that he's the guy who all these women are putting it on the line to get with, right? That's true, yeah. But Brando just does absolutely nothing (laughs) in that movie. Yeah. Um, So I would have to give it to Martin. I like the arc that Martin has, which is pretty kind of unique in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, where he is so sort of like wide-eyed and small-time and silly at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he's just a guy who has this sort of like silly little idea that women should pay for men because men get prostate cancer. Right. Then he sort of becomes a formidable threat because of Michael Caine's training. Mm-hmm. Like I like that about his portrayal. Okay. What about your favorite Jameson? 
David Niven, Michael Caine, or Anne Hathaway? Oh, I think it's Michael Caine, but it should be David Niven. Hmm. I think if if the script were better for Bedtime Story and, like, everything were better, I do think David Niven is, like, the correct person to play that role and that, like, he would be awesome doing it. I just don't think, like, the movie is at his level. The movie isn't fast-paced enough to support what he is doing. Hmm. You know? Because he's just, Mm -hmm. like, one of those very clever, very witty, like, firing off, like, the, the... that like Oscar Wilde style di- dialogue, like rat a tat tat, you know. Yeah, I think Niven is the most charming. Mm-hmm. I think I'm never totally sold on this character. Like I yeah. feel like I still haven't seen the performance that makes it work yet. And with all due respect, I doubt it's John Lithgow either. Yeah, in terms of what I feel the character is missing, Kane has the most heart, but I think that maybe I would give it to Hathaway. Interesting. I think that Hathaway has the most sense of danger. Mm-hmm. Like, Hathaway is the one that is the most the threat mm-hmm. in an interesting way. And Hathaway is also sort of the one who I believe, like, the one who we see her pull off a lot of different cons. Right. Like, she goes through the most great lengths to seduce all of these men. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other two sort of have just like this one thing they've honed over decades. So I think it is Hathaway. That's probably also helped because the story pulls in Jameson to be like the villain in the third act in a much bigger way in The Hustle Mm. than Mm -hmm. it does in either of the other two. Yeah. Who would you say was your favorite? Janet, uh, Shirley Jones, Glenn Headley, or Alex Sharp? There is not any contest, (laughs) even a little bit. It's our queen, Glenn Headley. I cannot, uh-huh. you cannot stress enough how mm-hmm. excellent she is in that movie. That's like the reason to watch that movie. If you were going to mm-hmm. say, if like, if there's a reason to watch that movie, like she is it. She's and so the good. movie knows that. Yeah, I know. The movie knows that and it gives it to you, like gives her to you, like her scenes and like plays out her plot to you nice and spins it out for you. There should mm-hmm. be more of it, but they do know like how to pace this part of it that they've got with her in it yeah how about for you what do you you think uh yeah i agree wholeheartedly yeah Yeah. wholeheartedly glenn headley i think sharp is good Mm -hmm. i think something that a lot of actors have discovered is that in when you do these female-led movies they Uh sort of flip the archetypes i think there's a lot of like fun opportunity for men playing the traditional female archetypes you know yeah the mark to be won yeah I think about Chris Pine and Wonder Woman, who's sort of like the the runaway performance of that movie hmm. as sort of like the damsel in distress character. Oh, that's cool. But yeah, it's Glenn Headley. She's incredible. And yeah. she she's the best performance in any of these movies. Yes. Yeah. First, Glenn Headley. Second, the dude who played the butler in Bedtime Story. <laughs> Third, the, the lady who played the cop in The Hustle. Yeah. <laughs> I love that the bit that the <laughs> cop really wants to kill Freddy makes uh, it to all three. Yeah, I think that's good. Hand acting makes it into all three. Oh, that's major, true. Major hand acting in all three. Uh-huh. So let me ask you this. Okay. What would your take be for your remake, your 2040 film remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? Okay. What's your way into this material? Oh, okay. 
All right. So I think I think you do a, a deep period reboot. Mm. No one's going to be interested in like something set in 2040 in 2040. They're going to be that's going to be played out. So you'd set like a deep reboot. Say we're going to call it like 1200s. Wow. It's going to be like set in like Constantinople, the heart of the Byzantine Empire at the time, I believe. And it's going to center on two young like peasant girls who have run off and are disguising themselves as men and pulling scams. That's cool. That's my way in. I don't know. I don't know what else is going on. They're in the big city. There's crazy stuff. They're pulling one over. Of course, eventually they're scamming the mad king of Constantinople. Wow. And, you know, all the crazy, like all the, all the stuff we'd probably take out the parts that are, um, insensitive to uh, <laughs> different yeah. groups as much as possible we'd throw in some all new jokes that wouldn't age well <laughs> that's cool I'd watch yeah, what do you what do you think i think that what i'm most interested in looking at this story regardless of the gender any of the characters are mm-hmm. is the relationship between freddie and jameson mm-hmm. because like The question I ask in all of these movies is, A, why doesn't Jameson just kill Freddy? Mm -hmm. In all three of these movies, he literally has someone saying, I could kill him. There will be no consequences. Uh (laughs) Please let me kill him. This would solve all of our problems. Is that just to demonstrate that Jameson has a conscience? Maybe. Maybe that's what that's saying. But it is true that like Jameson is in a high position of power that Freddy Uh is threatening. Right. And he doesn't take that bait. And then the other question is, once Freddy gets turned loose, why does he come back? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense either, does it? And it's so weird in all three because they play it like it's been like an hour. Even though I think in in Dirty Run Scoundrels, it's been like a week or like a little bit longer. But in all of them, he he leaves and the next scene he's back. Yeah. By the way, something I liked about The Hustle, which Uh I didn't mention on that episode, is that they give us... They like further simplify the weird socialist tax thing to the point where it's just like it's a ruse to annoy Freddie to the point where she will leave. He will leave. Yeah. Like, I think that's like the simplest understanding of that bizarre thing we get in the first movie. That's (laughs) true. Because in the first movie, I think David Niven really believes it. Mm, Yeah. So anyway, it would I don't know. It would be about them being in love. At the oh end. yeah, oh. It yeah. would be about how it's like a very lonely thing, pretending to be in love with other people for a living, and they relate to each other on that level, and that's what kind of brings them back, and and they engage in this very like showy contest of like who can sleep with someone else the most <laughs> or the first yeah, or whatever yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Okay. So wow. I feel like yeah, I don't know if it would be. Uh, men or women or anything in between, but I think that's Damn. how. That's, that's so what, cool. That's what I would key into in this. Yeah, that it feels good. like it's there a little bit. It does, and it feels like that's like a really interesting way to take take it too, especially it being like supposedly a sex comedy. I guess at least in its first iteration, right? 
And it I, really I think there's, that's gets something that's less like, sexy every time. And it really, it really does, you know. And it's like the first one is not sexy, but like no. it really is the most sexy of all of them. Mm. And it really feels like that's a missed opportunity too, because they're all like using romance to achieve their their ends and their like. But you never really. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, what can I tell you, Hollywood? You're not putting enough sex in your movies. We need more, also, <laughs> I hope this isn't reductive, but like I did, I thought about this watching the movie. People think Rebel Wilson is hot. Like lots of people would be down for the scam if it was just Rebel Wilson doing it instead of her, instead oh, of yeah. every man she meets being like disgusted by her and her having yeah, to oh, pretend that's, so weird. that's like her hot sister. Like that stuff is so weird. People would be cool with it just being Rebel Wilson. That's I funny. mean, these rich dirt bags, I don't know. I can't speak to it, but I'm sure some of them. Hell yeah. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> and perhaps we might end up cutting this, but I was going to ask you, oh, well, which version of Freddy doing Ruprecht is the most offensive? <laughs> and which version of Freddy with the with some sort of disability the most offensive? <laughs> Because I don't, we don't. I don't think we really paid enough attention on our last episode to the Ruprecht scene. What was oh, I can't was remember horrifying. what her name was. I can't remember what her name was. It was something yeah, good. Was it some was a good princess. Name. I feel like for the disability, it's Brando is the most offensive mm. because with Martin you both see, you see both that he is dedicated to acting the part mm-hmm. like really living in that part like you think maybe he even feels a little bit bad for himself which just brings a little more like heart to uh-huh. that character even as it's making fun of people whereas Brando is like <laughs> just dumb <laughs> and defensive yeah <sighs> Ruprecht is hard maybe Martin maybe that hairstyle is most offensive yeah. of anything in any of these and also with martin it's just like he should have known better yeah oh absolutely like he should have known better and then he leans into it yeah and we and the other thing is that like brando and rebel wilson are both like adult comedy stars uh-huh and this certainly is not like an adult sophisticated joke, but they're like people we're used to seeing sort of do, you know, like whatever, like risque things. Uh-huh. But Steve Martin has like that second career as a family movie star. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, where probably most, certainly I, most people in our generation saw him first. Sure. So then it feels like especially weird watching him do stuff like that. Oh, uh, that's fair. It's like the guy from Apocalypse Now doing that. You're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but then it's the guy as... from Cheaper from the by the dozen doing that, you're like, oh no, <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Oh man, I don't have a good answer for this. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, yeah, I do think I do think you're probably right that Steve Martin's Ruprecht is the worst, and I feel like that movie also pays the, the most attention to that character. People having annoying siblings is a thing already they don't have to have like some bizarre dungeon goblin disability to drive these people off yeah that's very strange yeah you could just have like if you need an annoying sibling for hire like (laughs) come on over to the temple family we will hook you up we could we could scare off the folks you need scared off 
with no problems. We won't have to do any uh, insensitive impersonations. And as we heard from Joan Didion, wasn't funny in the 60s. Wasn't funny in the 60s. Unfortunately, Joan Didion didn't get around to uh, reviewing The Hustle. That is a shame. <laughs> I would have loved to hear her thoughts. Hey, here's a little here's uh-huh. a little question for you, Emmett. Uh-huh. A little piece that? of trivia. What is that? We've done four movie series so mm-hmm. far. Actually, you could include Remember the Name in this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Five Bye. series. What is something they all have in common? What is a unifying factor between every series we've done so far? Is it an actor? No. It is much like our show, A Time. Every series we've covered so far has had a movie released in 2019. Oh, crazy. That's really cool. Dark Phoenix, Little Women, Richard Jewell, Us, and The Hustle. That is really nuts. Well, all 2019 we films. So it's all been a 2019 film festival all along. Trying just, we've just been out here tr- slowly, subtly building the case that 2019 was the best year in film since 1939. <laughs> well, very, very exciting. Should we? Say yeah. What should we're we? Doing is next? there anything else you want to say about Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? No, I would say don't watch it. Let it be stricken from the record. I appreciate you for listening to this, and I think. There is something to learn from listening to us process all of this in real time. <laughs> yeah. That is, uh, I hope, I hope has at least been amusing. <laughs> I, I hope so too. Yeah. I hope that we have at least created some joy in the world out of these terrible things. So, And we hope to have better judgment in the future. Yes. But not immediately <laughs> in the future. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This next series, I would say since... We f- we first started talking about this podcast. Uh-huh. For every one suggestion we have gotten to do any movie series, we have probably gotten 27 suggestions <laughs> to do the one we're doing next. So for the first time, by popular demand. <laughs> that is true. On Tuesday, May 25th. Cold Boy Summer begins. That's right. The Cinema Boys tackle Twilight Saga. We're doing the Twilight Saga. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcast. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes this podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week. <laughs>